Friends, this is Morgan. And before we turn towards episode 49, I wanted to make mention of episode 50. It's exciting to think that we have hit the mark of having 50 episodes over these years for the Become Good Soil podcast. And as I prayed about um, how to celebrate that mark, my sense was to open up the conversation to questions and responses. I often find myself in a conversation with an ally in this message and wish that I was recording it so I could share it with the larger community. And so my, my invitation to you all is if there is a question that has surfaced over these years, a question related to one of the Become Good Soil podcasts or Become Good Soil blogs uh, that has been published up to this anticipated number 50, I'd love for you to send that my way and I'll do what I can to respond to some of those questions and let episode 50 be about featuring what's on your heart. So if you have a question that comes up, please send that um, becomegoodsoil.com forward slash question, becomegoodsoil.com forward slash question, and that'll get to me. So let's dive in. Love and relationship are the bottom line of the kingdom, and they must be ours if we wish to establish a kingdom culture in our homes. Friends, this is Morgan Snyder, and welcome to another edition of the Become Good Soil podcast. Those words are from Danny Silk in a book, Loving Our Kids on Purpose and Making Heart-to-Heart Connections. I just so appreciate just distilling down to the heart of the matter, that love and relationships are indeed the bottom line of the kingdom, and they must be ours if we wish to establish a kingdom culture in our homes. And I think as a desire, that is so core to us when we think of parenting, but as a reality, it can get complicated and fuzzy and confusing and disheartening in a lot of ways. Well, recently I had the privilege of being interviewed for a podcast uh, by a man named Paul Edwards. And the podcast was intended to focus on styles of relating, where I've taught before on the styles of move against and move towards and move away. But as the Spirit led us into the conversation, really the heart of the time ended up being about parenting and the application of loving in the context of the styles of relating in parenting. So my sense was um, that there was some gold here for those of you that have explored the styles of relating as a category to go deeper in excavation and traveling the narrow road. And if you haven't, I think you'd enjoy diving into that content. There's a lot of other resources related to that, and you could find that at becomegoodsoil.com slash styles of relating. I've just gathered all the bits there. But either way, there is a real um, access point when it comes to parenting to get to the heart of the matter in both the person that we long to be and the person that we are not yet. 
And I want to invite you into this conversation with Paul to go deeper in the styles and in its context as it relates to parenting. On Become Good Soil, I've heard you mention these styles of move toward, move away, and move against. So what I'm curious about um, is as you go through your day, you know, you're meeting people, you're in, a, in meetings, you're talking to different people, uh, wherever, wherever your activities take you. How do you identify these people and what, what do you look or listen for? Yeah, it's a, <clears throat> it's a good question. And in some ways, there's a lot of backstory, I think, that it would be great to have to get into that question. Um, but because we have, you know, real limited time, I think what I would say is there are many personality profiles and tools to get to the human person. Um, and, and the idea of the styles of relating, which are move against, move toward, and move away, it was it was a concept that I first found out about through a gal named Karen Horney. Uh, I believe it was in the 40s or 50s. She wrote a book called Inner Conflicts, and she gave visibility to this tool. Uh, a counselor, John Smeltzer, that I did some work with, uh, helped to really put flesh and bones and breath into it. But what I would say, Paul, is that all of these things are tools to get to the heart of the human person. Um, and what I so appreciate about this tool is it's not about a certain personality profile. So it's not about labeling a person, oh, you are a move against, um, you are a move away, but rather it's a, it's a series of kind of lenses, almost different color, different shade sunglasses to try to view reality. And, and when I say reality, what we're trying to get to is that unique human being, and, and I would suggest made in the image of God. And so you have this person, and you're trying to get to the core of who is the true person, mm. and then who is the false person. And so every one of us um, could be described as a caricature of the true person. In other words, this person that we have become, you know, it's a, it's a very important question to ask, who have I become? Yeah. You know, there's a brilliant film, Jerry Maguire, where he's a sports agent, right? Mm -hmm. And he's slick and he represents all these athletes and he's killing it professionally. Um, but something in his soul is becoming unnerved and unrattled. And he has kind of a breakthrough, um, kind of come to trueness moment um, where he says, I, I have lost the ability to bullshit. Yeah. I've become the me that I've always wanted to be. Mm -hmm. yep. And in that film, what he's describing is he became a person, mostly out of fear, mostly out of shame. He became a caricature of his true self to kind of safeguard his soul from the world. So he learned what works. He learned what made him successful. He learned what earned the uh, applause of the audience. And he became that person. And frankly, it was a person that the world rewarded, but it wasn't his true self. And the journey, I believe, of the human soul, both masculine and feminine, is to find and recover our true identity, that person that we were meant to be since before all time. And so the styles of relating, I believe, are lenses that help us identify both the true self 
and the false self at work. It's almost like a civil war that I believe is in the soul of every person. Mm -hmm. And so maturation then is to take the journey of first becoming aware of who is my poser, who is, what is my false self? How do we be, I become aware of that. Then how do I begin to disentangle it and dismantle it? And then over time, to borrow your word, transformation, how do I become transformed to become who I was meant to be. D- does that make sense? It does. And, and, and I was, uh, as I was listening there, I was looking um, at the, the I w- you were getting there into the very next question, which is, as you've done this, I like the way you, you've reframed that a little bit as, as lenses to, to view, you know, where, where am I operating out of my true self and where am I operating out of my false self? And what I was curious about in the next question was, where have you, where have you observed this um, in your own life? Where have you seen, through, as you've under, as you've studied this, where have you seen it, your true self, uh, you know, giving, bringing glory to God, and 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 you know, and and benefiting those around you, and when and then where have you seen the the false self operate? Sure, sure, yeah, it's a great question. Um, I'm going to start with the painfully practical, but in order to get there. I want to give a little bit of framework for your listeners of these three styles of relating. Just kind of going back to your first question, do you mind if I just take a few moments to frame kind of um, what what are these? What are we talking about? I, I think that's a good idea. Yeah, fabulous. Okay, so if you think about um, it's it's kind of three styles, three manners in which human beings relate to each other, and one is described in kind of the broken version, the. Um, and and then the second is the transformed version, the true version. So so here are just a few words. There's a there's a lot more resources I, I could direct you to, but just to wrap your head around it, think of yourself or think of the people in your world that come to mind in these descriptions. So the first would be a move away personality, expression, a lens. A move away person in their broken form um, tends to withdraw, hide disengage from people or relationship or check out. They, they stay at a safe distance, refusing to engage because of fear of exposure. Whereas that same kind of lens of personality, if you will, when it's being restored is the move away type of um, personality has a reflective heart and soul. They're, they're contemplative. They, they're, they're comfortable in their own skin, I think would be a good way to say it. They're, they're at peace. They welcome stillness. Um, they, they don't agree with a sense of false urgency or a compulsive need to come through for people. They model self-care, for example, and have healthy boundaries. So those are examples of a move away, a person operating in the move away style both in the broken form, the false, or the true form, the transformed. The second would be move towards. So a move towards person, I would say, is more of a compliant person. Paul, it's something like this. I, I need you to like me mm. I so that I feel good, right? I, if, if we are okay, then I am okay. It's, a, it's appeasing and a pleasing. It's a person who feels secure when they are connected with someone, even if it's um, a broken relationship. So you think of in-laws or you think of uh, your boss or the people that serve 
under you in, in a work environment where you need people to feel good. And uh, a lot of these people have a compulsive need to serve, for example. That's the move towards in a mm. broken form. But as that's transformed, this portion of the human person has an extraordinary capacity for empathy. They, they, they kind of manifest what I would call the miracle validation, where every human being in our core wants to be fully known and fully loved. And this kind of personality can move towards a person for the other person's sake. That's very different than moving towards someone for what I need. Yes. And, and so it's, it's, it's kind of a sense of um, being able to communicate to someone a sense of worthiness and belonging because they exist. Yes. And in an example, it's, it, it would be like coming to care for your boss in a work environment for their own sake, for no personal gain whatsoever, maybe even at personal cost. Mm. So there's something very beautiful about a person who can engage in love and heroism, coming to the center of another person for their own sake without needing something back. And then the final kind of style of relating, um, as it were, would be move against. A lot of these people you see in leadership roles. Uh, a lot of it is, you know, lead, follower, get out of the way. It's aggressive. It's dominating. Life is primarily about battle. These people feel best. In other words, they feel best in their body when they are in control, when they are in charge often a question they're asking, though they may not ever put words to it, is what can I gain from this? How can I use you to serve my needs? Um, how do I succeed? How do I achieve? How do I win? So much of life is about outcomes and, and, and changing the game so that you can succeed at all costs. These people don't handle criticism well. Uh, but these are often what's what's rewarded in leadership. But again, it's a style of relating that is a caricature to avoid true connection. In other words, so many of um, people expressing this personality are doing so to avoid shame and fear. So they have to be leading because when they're not leading, they don't feel good about themselves. They feel insecure. But when this kind of personality is transformed, this is where you get a, a true leader, where I would say, borrowing words from Bill Johnson, you lead with a servant's heart, and at the same time, you can serve with a kingly heart, because you know deep in your core who you truly are. You don't need circumstances or outcomes to validate you. So these are people that are men and women of action and engagement, and they walk in a sort of courage and even self-sacrifice um, of a greater good beyond themselves. They're people that can live with the long view in mind, people that can be um, cognizant um, of quarterly earnings by way of example, and yet when they put their head on the pillow, they know that they'll make decisions that are far more oriented towards 10 years from now and 20 years from now in the next generation from now, rather than short-term yields. So mm. 
these are examples of of just lenses to see into the different personalities. And but here's what's so important is it's not that a person is intended to be one of these. In a person, a human being is intended to be uniquely who they are. And that unique person was when it in its transformed reality is meant to be able to operate healthy and freely and fluidly between these styles of relating. And so if there's a situation where there's there's deep aggression and it requires someone with a with a calm that can come in, um, the idea is a transformed person can offer that calmness, that that union, that peace, that um that mediating, even if their natural bend is to kind of charge the fields and be out in front, or a person that has a tendency to really be the wallflower and not have words, that they 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 develop a capacity to actually speak up heroically when their voice is needed. And so there's a, there's countless examples I can give, but back to your original second question was, how does this play out in my life? So I was on my way to the studio to prepare for this time. And there were a couple of gals that I work with carrying these heavy boxes. And they said, hey, can you get the door for me? And I said, sure. And I, I got the door for them. And, and they carried the boxes. And immediately where I went is, I need to go help them carry the rest of the boxes. Okay. Now, if you know my story, you would know that so much of my false self is coming through for people. And so I feel loved when I come through for people. And so it's a very important question to ask right alongside of who are you becoming? The other question is where do you feel loved? Mm. Or in other words, when do you feel good? And in the, in the transverse of that is when do I feel bad or when do I feel death? Those are very helpful questions to get to the soul. So I said, do you have more boxes? And they said, yes, we do. I was walking up the stairs to the studio and I realized compulsively, reactively, what I would normally do is carry the boxes to help them. Now, part of that is I have a servant's heart. And part of that is I want to be a man of strength and integrity to care well for the women I work with. And in general, I try to do that as often as I can. But in this particular instant, instance, I had, I had a, a blocked amount of time that was shorter than I wanted it to be to prepare for this. And I wanted to be present to you, Paul. I wanted to be present to this audience. I wanted to give my whole heart to it. And I needed to get through some, some notes that I, I, I hadn't visited in a while. And so compulsively, what I wanted to do was move towards to basically help them carry boxes not to be a servant-hearted person, but my motive would be to feel good about myself. And there's a death of not helping them. There's a death that I have to crucify my ego, crucify my, my, my false self. And instead, out of a true place, I had to take a risk to say, in this instance, though the pull is to serve, which is what I mostly do, in this instance, I need to release them, bless them, go about my business of preparing for this podcast. And when it's completed, if there's still more boxes to carry, I'll jump right in. But I have to risk my reputation. I have to risk what they think about me. I have to live in a way that transcends the natural propensity um, of my gifting 
in the service of the false. So with, with this, Morgan, when you, when you make this decision to walk away from that, it sounds more like the move away is, is taking over in service of the true self. Do I have that right? Yes. Yeah, that would that would be a good observation. What it's basically saying is in my true self, in this moment, rather than react, the, the, the proper response is to say the loving thing to do is move away. The loving thing to do is move away from them in the present need, move away from people and withdraw so that I can have the solitude to prepare for for the interview. And and what I think I'm trying to articulate is 10 years ago, I would not have had that ability. I, I would I would have served, I would have no matter what helped carry those boxes. And I would have looked heroic or maybe like a, a good man um, helping these women. But in fact, the motive would have been would have been false. The motive would have been cowardice. The motive would have been fear or avoiding shame. Now, this is interesting to me, Morgan, because uh, many of our audience may not have listened to your episodes talking about this on uh, the Become Good Soil podcast. But what I've generally got secondhand from that is that your primary style has always been a move against. And yet, just like you mentioned earlier with the, the lens concept there, in this case, move against wasn't didn't apply before or after you made this decision. Yes. Yes. So what I'd say is, see, most personality tools, uh, people feel good because they have a label, right? So I, I am an IFP, you know, example, like I am a Labrador, right? Or the Enneagram, I am an eight and, and people feel validated. But the problem is it validates the, the, the true self and the false self. Okay. The idea of the styles of relating is to say what we're after is the true person. And, and what I would say, my worldview, where it comes from is I believe um, in Genesis that we are created in God's image. You know, that, that, that it says um, God created us in his image, male and female, he created us. And, and I just want to name that because that's the framework that I come from, is that the, the most important thing to know about any human being is that they bear the image of God. They bear some portion of the brilliance of, of the creator of everything that we experience. And I believe that that unique expression is, is expressed both as male or as female. And so um, the recovery of that person is what we're after. And so that person that we've been made to be is always, is always being expressed in either the false self or the true self or some combination of them. And so these styles of relating, what's so important is we all have a predominant style. So we all have one main style and mine would be move against. So move against would be the core of my gifting and my personality. I'm a leader. I'm a natural leader. And it sounds like, Paul, we we share a lot of that in common, that we find ourselves out in front. That's part of my gifting. But because of that, that's my primary area of brokenness and mm. sin and fallenness and where, frankly, I have caused harm to the people that I love the most. And so the question isn't, 
it's it's it, it's important to identify what is our predominant style only so much as as it serves as a window to get to how am I operating as a move against using me as a person as an example how does that serve me in my faults and how do I set that aside for a season so that I can I can get to cultivating and developing these other styles that are equally as important for me to walk in um, as circumstances dictate, um, as love dictates, but but they are underdeveloped in me. And, and in time and over time, a healthy human being, they, they will very likely have one of the three styles that's stronger than the others. But Paul, here's what's beautiful. When you deal with a wholehearted human being, a wholehearted man or a wholehearted woman, they have a mature capacity to move between the styles. Uh, and so, yes, if you get to really know them, you may know that they are um, more a move against than anything else. But what's even more beautiful is they have an ability to transcend personality. They have an ability to live out of their true self so much that they're no longer defined by a personality style, but primarily they're designed, they're defined by their motive to love. Right. Yeah. So <clears throat> that brings up a, an, another question I was going to ask you about. Um, and that is that, um, what I have observed about myself now, you know, I, I'm not the, the ultimate judge on this, obviously, but I just, I just pay attention. Um, and, and, and I seem to find myself when the, the most frequent one that comes out, although you might call me a move against uh, in, in my in my true self, um, I seem to want to mostly turn in and 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 negative on myself like a move away yes. would whenever things go bad. So, you know, the audience knows I'm a recovering addict. Um, and, and I'm a deep, deep dweller and overthinker when I'm, when I'm operating in the flesh, you know, and I'm not, and I'm not listening and I'm not, uh, growing and, and improving. Um, so I'm not, although I'm a move against, I like to be out in front speaking to an audience. I like to, you know, I, I love to, uh, to lead and, and be an emblem and all that. Um, I find that. For the most part, I mean, I can get aggressive, but I don't usually. Usually, what I do first of all is I try and retreat, and and hide, and then get obsessed. And I, I, I the reason I wanted to ask you this was that I'm I'm interested in 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 getting better at not doing that anymore. And I'm curious yes. if you uh, have observed any anybody doing anything uh, that helps them move out of that sort of move away retreat kind of um, hide mentality when, you know, when things go bad? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and, um, first of all, I applaud your courage to put your story out there. That's a huge, uh, step to, to becoming true. Um, I, I would suggest, you know, we, we've said in, in our work with men that, um, there's this brilliant verse in Genesis that, that if you can really, chew on it and like a dog on a bone over time. It's like having an advanced degree in psychology and understanding human people where you have humans created 
without blemish, without sin, just reflecting the image of God as men and women. Could you imagine what it would be like to be fully alive, fully strong, fully beautiful, fully relationally connected, alive? And then there's the fall of man. And it's only then that that some break from union with the creator of creation happens. And then it says, Adam was afraid because he was naked, and so he hid. And then he grabs fig leaves to try to, to, to kind of make a disguise. And, and, and it's such a, a brilliant metaphor, Paul, of what we're all trying to do, that we find ourselves afraid because we feel naked, we feel exposed. And so we go into some version of hiding. And, and, and so, so much of what we become is a construct of fear and shame where we, we are trying to avoid those things and and avoid honest connection, connection with ourself, connection with God, and connection with other people. And so what I hear you describing is you have a propensity in, in your health to um, find yourself leading and out in front. And, and, and what you observe is that when you are not well, when you are in your false self, when you're under shame or fear, you have a propensity to find yourself as a more of a move away person. Um, and what I would say that's super helpful as a kind of step is start. It's kind of that these are big ideas, but to get to the, the painfully practical is do the opposite, do the opposite. Right. So whatever it is you find your natural knee-jerk reaction, do the opposite. If you're a person that's constantly silent in meetings, you're the person they expect not to speak up. Find something to say. Risk saying for the sake of exercising your voice and then notice what comes up. Notice the the, the things that are in the way. It, it's only in risking and stepping out to the frontier of our masculine and feminine soul that we can begin to now take the journey of transformation. And so if you're a person that's always has a response, that always has a funny joke to make, then don't say something. Mm. If you're the person that always is serving, you're serving in your company, you're serving in the, in the meetings, you're serving in your church, well, don't serve actually choose to do what feels like selfishness. And so what I'm describing is to walk away from our false self is something that feels impossible. Mm. It feels foolish. It feels irresponsible. But that thing looks very different for each person. And so the, the very thing that's comfortable for you to do, Paul, might be completely fearful um, fear inducing for another person and vice versa. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's good. That's good. I, uh, I, I think I'm doing a little bit better than that, but I think, you know, not to get off, off track here, I want to respect the time, but I think part of the thing for me is, um, you know, particularly with my family, um, I have two, I have boys of 10 and eight and they're very boisterous and very loud uh, and they get, they, they argue a lot. Um, you know, and, and so what I'm, I feel as though I can either shut down and hide away and, you know, just look at my phone or busy myself with something, or I can 
explode and you know and go nuclear on them which is which makes everybody miserable and myself included and i just i'm i'm trying to figure out the way you know the way to still be a good disciplinarian as a parent um so that i don't teach my sons that they can get away with anything but at the same time um i have to it's been a it's been a hard time for me figuring out what to say or how to say it or when to say it you know and and in a way that communicates, hey, I'm still paying attention and I'm still engaged, um, and 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 you know, and I love you and all these kind of things. It's a, it's it's a fine line to walk, and I'm. I wish I could say I was further along with uh, with getting that, and maybe I am, but I tend to think of myself as struggling in that area. Well, I, I think what's worth celebrating, Paul, is you're you're much further along than you were a decade ago, right? Correct. I. I think what I, I just want to name out loud is these things take time. It, you know, we, it, they take practice. The best things in life are not cheap, are not quick, and frankly, are not easy. Yep. That's why we love to watch the Olympics, right? We dial in and get a bag of burritos or a couple of cheap beers, and we watch these high-performance athletes that have been training day after day after day for years for this moment. And so it, it, I, what I want to say is it's all practice that there has to be a posture of kindness to ourselves. We, we have such a strong self-critic, as you mentioned even earlier in the episode, that the posture has to be kindness. There has to be grace. And it has to be a posture of we, we are practicing that, that a lot of this is, is, is our posture to be students, that if we take the journey, if we choose to forsake shortcuts, that we will be teaching from the very place that we are struggling mm. a decade from now. That's, that's, my, that's my deep belief, that the things that we are most struggling with, if we assent um, and consent to a process of becoming a student – um, and, and really cultivating our inner life and a wholeheartedness, uh, we will be teaching from what we struggle with today. And, and back to the kids, just to name one piece, Paul, I think what I've learned is it, it's a brilliant place to observe the battle between the true self and false self. And, and what I have learned from mentors and practice myself that's been so helpful is how do I stay, how do I maintain, how do I either er, like um, cultivate, earn, um, and maintain access to the true self in my children. Mm. Okay. This is so important because what you said is brilliant. It's that's the great work of, of the human life is these dilemmas of here, your kids are loud and you're tired from a long day's work. And even then there's loaded things. Why are your kids loud? Are they loud because they're being boys and that's their image bearing? Or are they loud because you're just exhausted because you gave too much to your work and there were treasures that were intended to be for your wife and your kids, but you gave it to other people out of a pool to gain some validation. And I only say that because I'm, I'm, I'm telling my own story. I'm telling my own struggle. And so the question is, what is their true self and how do you maintain access to that? Most, most of the adults in my life that I observe no longer have access to most of the true self in their kids at age 8, 9, 10, 11 into the teenage years. Mm -hmm. 
because their kids have learned, even if it's subconsciously, this is not a safe place for me to really be known and really be loved for my own sake. And what I've learned in parenting is it's a totally different approach to say, I don't know how this is going to go. I'm not even really sure. I don't know what I don't know, but I do know that I want to maintain access to their true self. And that requires vulnerability. And so an example would be, um, what are your boys' names? Grant and Chase. Grant and Chase. Okay. And is it is it okay if I use their names? Of course, yeah. Okay. So so Paul, an example that that I've found that's been really helpful is is um to say Grant Chase. L- let me just um be known. I, I just want to be known for a minute. Um Dad, dad's sad because I'm tired from a big day of work and I wish I had more energy in this moment. And, and I just want you to know, like, I'm sad that I don't have more energy and I hope in the future I will. And I've never been a parent to an eight year old and a 10 year old before. Like, this is my first time. You guys have never been eight and 10 before, and I've never been a parent. And so we're all learning. And so I just want to confess to you, um, I'm more tired than I wish I was. And I'm learning this parenting thing in real time. So thank you for your patience with me. And I'm so sorry that I have a tendency to either get really angry, as you guys have experienced, or go go silent and use something like my phone to check out with. And I just want to confess, like, I, I know that's a way I fail you as a dad, and I, I want to recover more of my strength to love you guys better. So I just want to share that to be known mm. by you. And um, and, and I, if you guys don't mind, I'd love to know you. Like, wh- what are you thinking right now? And what's on your heart? And what do you see? And And it's an example where you haven't changed, but you've taken the moment to try to answer the question, how can I come to the center? of their hearts? How can I give them access to my true self? And how how can I earn the right to access their true self? And it's in that place of true self to true self that true miracles happen. Well, I I will say this. I've certainly never tried that approach. So that's, uh, that's moving quickly to the top of my list to try that one out. And Paul, what comes, I'm just curious, like what, what rises in you when you hear that? Well, it's, it's, See, I've done that with my wife because I saw how you and Sherry did it on the uh, on one of the Become Good Soil podcasts. So she and I have had some terrific conversations, you know, where we've been able to let our guard down and say just bluntly, you know, this this kind of ticks me off, and this this makes me, you know, this is where I feel sad or lonely or you know that kind of thing in marriage. Um, that's been wonderful. But I, I I look at my kids and I'm like, I don't know that I could get them to sit still. Right. You know, because it's it it sounds like it's 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 the language of adults in that context. And so but you just just distilled it to a level that I could I could easily say to, you know, either of my boys. And I think they would get it. Yes. Well, and and, and as I mentioned, it's kindness towards ourself. It's a process over time. And it's it's little by little of earning that access. And so here, you know, here's just a level one example to say, okay, and I've practiced this a lot of times is I'm driving home. I'm aware of what my habitual self will do. 
I'm aware that often I'll come into the house and I'm using your story as an example to, and I'll either go, go, um, you know, angry and big and kind of move against or go quiet and withdraw. And so in my version of that, I've found moments to pause. I'll pull some, pull over somewhere on the way home, just park my car just for two minutes, just for 40 seconds sometimes, and just pause and say, okay, take a deep breath. I'm releasing my world. And one of the kind of mantras I use of, I give everyone and everything to you, God. I just mm-hmm. give it all away. I give everyone and everything to you, God. I, I let go of all those unfinished and undone things. I turn my heart back to my family. And, and, and it becomes a sort of prayer to say, just fill me. Fill me with your life, God. And then one example, you walk into the house and, and, and you can say in their chaos and in their screaming to say, Grant, Chase, you know what I love about you? You are such a picture of, 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 of boyhood. You're a picture you, you express something that God meant when he meant boys. Yeah. You, you do something really good for my heart. And I love your wildness. I love your energy. I love your loudness in some ways. And, 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 and in another time, at another lesson, you can swing around and say, I love your wildness. You're validating who they are. And then you speak to the behavior. Now, when you take all the pots and pans out of the kitchen and go banging through the house, like there's a time for that. But what is the time for that, Grant? What is the time for that, Chase? Right? I love who you are. I love the way you're made as a boy. I validate that. And now let's talk about the behavior. But at that point, you're able to separate your motive between what's good for them compared in love compared to what are you doing just to manage circumstances to to kind of medicate how how you're hurting. Well, because you've pre-framed it by by leading there with, you know, with just affection and appreciation. Exactly. Exactly. It does something totally different to them subconsciously, I think. You know, it does. So, yeah. Exactly. And like a quick example. So one of my buddies, you know, his predominant style is move against. He's a mentor of mine, frankly, decades older than mine. I was in his house when I was a young man and his boys were there and he's got crazy boys. And one boy was just beating up on another boy. And his tendency would be to get big and get aggressive and shut it down. Or I would say that personality style move, move against. He got down on his knee, Paul. And he looked at his son eye to eye and he said to him, I will never forget this. I was 21 years old and I'm 42 today and I remember it like it was yesterday. He said, he said, David, God has made you strong for a reason. I love your strength. Do you think God made you strong to harm your brother or to help your brother? And Paul, it was such a beautiful moment because in that parable, this mentor transcended his natural knee-jerk personality style, and he went from move against to move towards, and he came to the center of his son. He validated his son's um, identity as a boy, and then he was able to lovingly speak to the behavior that needed some parenting. But but the boy's young and he needs to know he's strong before he can know how to wield it. Well, and, and of course, the the father there um, needs to remove the, the log from his own eye 
and, and, you know, and say, okay, I'm about to go nuclear again. And I know that I have a problem going nuclear on my kids. Exactly. And so I need, exactly. to, I need to remove that before I deal with the speck in my son's eye. Exactly. Right. And, and that's a, it's a brilliant observation that it takes a man who has consented to the own, to his own process of becoming wholehearted because here he is in his house with a young man who was me, who he's mentoring. And if you put yourself in his shoes, he's thinking, wait a second, I'm the mentor and my kids are beating the crap out of each other. What's this young guy going to think? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But he's taken the journey and he's no longer primarily motivated to um, defend his reputation, but his motive has become love, love for God, love for himself and love for others. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so good. That's good. Um, I want to shift over here to um, someone we all know and love um, who is, who is on record as, as I've listened to you talk about it and read it in the scriptures um, of being able to, move fluidly in and out of all three of these uh, styles of relating. And that, of course, is our beloved Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, and could you share just an example, Morgan, of where you've seen Jesus move from move away to move toward to move against? And it, it seems like it's almost all in the same chapter sometimes, you know, um, where he just, he he makes this, these these transformations and and if and if you if you're not familiar with reading the scripture you know you might not notice it at first but once you began to point it out to me i saw it i saw it clear as a bell yes yes yeah there's so much in your question it's a beautiful one and uh, and it's a it's an intriguing one and we have a painfully short amount of time and so what i'd say is i, I do there are, are some other resources um after this podcast if people really want to dig deep and do the work um there's some really uh, great resources to dive in more. But I think in the interest of what's available in this slot, I think what I'd say, Paul, is to, to even say um, this Jesus that we know and love, like, yes, on the surface, we hear that a lot. But if we're just being honest, really honest, there is some hesitation or even disdain in a lot of hearts about who is this guy? And do we know him and why would we love him? And in the pictures of Jesus that we get in culture, and frankly, a lot of the pictures we get of Jesus in religion are something that doesn't cause me to want to love this man or know this man, you know, this wispy um, kind of gentle Jesus, meek and mild, not in humility, but just in softness or this flowing white robe of come all you unto me. Like, it's kind of a creepy Jesus. Like, yeah. I, I mean, let's be honest, most of the statues, most of the art, most of the Bible stories, they just don't relate to the current predicament that we find ourselves in, whether it's a courtroom or a boardroom or a family crisis. And so I, I just want to give the caveat is I love to come to the scriptures with a curiosity of who is this man that we find to try to drop the presuppositions and try to drop the cultural baggage and just take him for his own sake, mm -hmm. believing there's something to be revealed in the scriptures. And so, yeah, just one small example of that, you know, um, again, this is, this is in the spirit of, of demonstrating that Jesus, 
as a wholehearted human being. He, it, the scriptures say he's fully God and fully man. And so through a process of maturing, Hebrews says Jesus learned and matured through suffering. So he went through the human process. He became wholehearted where he was able to um, operate with the motive of love towards other people and, and transcend his personality. So I think the brilliance of what I see when I encounter the life of Jesus is he transcends personality. Even though he has an incredibly compelling ability to move towards, he's able to move away. And when he can move against, he chooses to move towards. He operates with a, a fluidness, that, with the motive of love that, that is tapped into some sort of resource some sort of fuel, some sort of sustenance that's beyond his own capacity. Mm. You know, he says it, that I and the Father are one. You know, he's united with something greater than himself. He has a dependency, would be a way of saying it, that serves as a sort of strength. So just to give a quick example, in um, the storytelling of Jesus by Matthew, one of the authors, he, he tells the story of the final days where – Jesus is coming into Rome and in Jerusalem where, you know, the Roman, it's a, it's a Roman civilization where he's kind of rocked the boat. There's a government there established and there, there's, there's cruelness and people want to make him king. You know, the scriptures use these words, the, the culture was shaken and unnerved. The people were going, what is this wild thing happening? And they wanted a coronation. They wanted to make him king, not of, of a, of a spiritual kingdom, but they thought he was coming to be king. Um, and he would take over the rule in Jerusalem. Yeah. And so picture this. You have a man being led um, in, a, in a ceremony, kind of a parade. Like the, think of the presidential inauguration where people are throwing their garments down yeah. for this donkey to walk over. And people are ripping branches down, you know, singing Hosanna. They, they, it's, it's adoration. It's worship. So think of, think of in politics or in Hollywood. When people are are in that state of worshiping, right, and 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 fans going crazy, and so this is the context. Jesus is is intended by the people to become the king of the land. So so let me ask this question: What would you do if you just think about the natural reaction of all eyes are on you? It's a it's a presidential inauguration, and they're coming to make you king, and you're being celebrated. Yeah, and and right then. It says Jesus went to the temple, that is to the religious ex, um, establishment, call it a, the churches. And the churches had become marketplaces. So basically people just use them to make money. And he threw out everyone who set up shop buying and selling. The scriptures say he kicked over tables of the loan sharks and the stalls of dove merchants. And so he, he, he made a mess. I mean, he, he walks in. And starts tipping over tables, and you think of the money hitting the, these 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 stone and marble floors, and the sound of chaos and pandemonium. Like it's not exactly what most people would do when they're going to be crowned king. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Does, does that make sense? Oh, it does. It makes it's it's wild. It's like it's, it's wild. It's like your 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 presidential inauguration. Then you go to the inaugural ball. And the first thing you do is turn like they do in Ghostbusters, throwing all the tables around the room, you know, exactly. <laughs> or you throw a punch at somebody or tell people, you know, 
like, you know, what an ass they are. Like it's, it's certifiably ridiculous. But the thing is, the risk is believing that he's a pretty wise man and, and he has his motives in check. And so, so we go on. So now there's this incredible scripture that says, after he makes a mess of things and it's pandemonium and chaos, it says, now there was room for the blind and the crippled to get in. They came to him and they healed him. Jesus yeah. healed him. Yeah. So just think about that. Um, think about the energy going through your body when you are pissed off, when you are enraged, where you just, th- you know, it, it's a throwdown session. And, and then in a moment's notice, you see part of his motive was to make room for the people that were in need. And then in compassion, in intimacy, in kindness, in love, he he bent down and healed the people that were the castoffs of society. I think what's important to see here is his ability to absolutely transcend personality, that he goes from raging in righteousness to humility and love and compassion. He's moved by the people. And what I love about this, a side note, is it says after this, the children are running and shouting through the temple. They're shouting Hosanna to David's son. And and, and the religious people get totally pissed. Yeah. They say, um, you know, they were up in arms and they say, do you hear what the children are saying? And, and Jesus says, yeah, I get it. Like the children understand what's so important. You know, and Jesus quotes scripture where he says, um, in the mouths of children and babes, I'll furnish the place of praise. And yeah. and what that means, take off all the religion. It basically says the, kill, the children still have access to their true self. The children know, they don't fully understand what's going on, but something in them knows this is supposed to be about God. This religious house is supposed to be about the most important thing. There's a bunch of thieves and robbers and this crazy, beautiful, strong man just came and 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 pulled the fig leaves off of people. And he did what everyone wants to do. This thing that happened, I don't know what's going on, but it's really good. Yeah. Finally, the world is being made right. Yeah, so you know, finally the, the kids, end. the kids know something. There's something about their true self that hasn't yet been stolen or surrendered or assaulted. Well, I used to, I used to, um, you know, I'd watch movies like the karate kid when I was growing up and I never understood why I was smiling so much at the end. And it's because, you know, finally, um, the, the, the guy who's picked on by five other bullies and all that in school, and it's a simple illustration, but you know, finally he gets his chance to fight fair and square and against all possible odds, he wins. And, you know, they rush the stage and the, the, the guy who was picking on him hands him the trophy and yes and and there's his father smiling you know the the father figure mr Miyagi, yes. smiling smiling on delightfully as he celebrates his victory and i was like you know i, I was six maybe six years old the first time i saw the movie and i'm just you know i just i it made me it made me light up and so i when you when you mentioned the the kids understand it at, at a subconscious level even though they don't necessarily comprehend what's going on yes i agree i i think that's very true exactly do you see that it's your true self resonating with the truth of reality right there's something in you that knows that rises up for for the story to be told rightly right it's it's the eternity is written in our hearts um ecclesiastes says so yeah. so you're exactly right i watched that movie last week with my daughter and and it, it it borrows its power from the greatest story that's ever told 
Yes. And, and, and on stories. So let's go on. So the children are laughing. The Pharisees are pissed. Jesus has just made a mess of things. And then he heals the broken. And, and at this moment, when all the, the, the Pharisees are enraged and the, the money launderers and the thieves are enraged, it says, fed up, Jesus turned on his heels and left the city for Bethany, where he spent the night. And so right there, where he had a moment to explain himself, right? Maybe and move against, he could take the microphone, as it were, and explain, here's the truth, right? Or just continue to do miracles. He vanishes. Yeah. He's gone. He's gone. And, and he goes to Bethany, a quiet city, and and he goes to spend the night. He just slips out. And it's just it's just utterly brilliant to see a man that's absolutely not fixed on his reputation, but he has a motive of love and he goes to spend the night with his father. He goes to be refueled. He go, you know, he does the sort of things that were intended to happen in stillness and solitude. And here's the last piece of just this particular story. This is amazing. So, okay, you're going to be crowned king. You come in in a parade. You make um, a mess and a mockery of the marketplace. You heal some people miraculously. The, the, the leaders want to kill you. You vanish. You're safely out of the city. It's the next morning. And the question is, what would you do? And this, what would you do? And the scriptures say early the next morning, Jesus returned to the city and he was hungry. Now, Paul, let me ask a question. Okay. It's the next morning and you're hungry. And, and, it, it, and you... It's like, where would you go and what would you do? The last place on earth you would think that a sane human being would go would be back to Jerusalem. Right, back to the kill zone, yeah. Exactly. But what I love about it, and just to, just to kind of land this story because we have limited time, is you see the mod, a man modeling the ability to live in a manner that transcends any sort of personality. Mm. That he knows who he is and he knows what he brings, but he has a, he's become the kind of person through a process of maturation where his motive is love and he's able to be the man that is required in the service of love in any situation he finds himself, whether he's with children or he's with Pharisees or he's with a, a woman at a well that's been married to five different men and finds Jesus rather attractive. And he's able to maintain complete integrity. You know, he should have been the next guy on the Me Too campaign to be accused of abuse. And instead, (laughs) his motive is love. He cares well for women and children more than ever any human being we've ever seen. And so I think my question is, what does it take? What is the process? of becoming so wholehearted that we can live in a manner that, that actually um, makes the world a better and truer place, beginning with our own self and reaching out to those entrusted with our care. Friends, I hope that you enjoyed this dialogue and it's just scratching the surface on the categories of um, parenting and the categories of the styles of relating. But if you're intrigued to go deeper, you can find more on this subject at 
becomegoodsoil.com forward slash styles of relating. Hopefully, God can use that to take you into deeper waters in this category. And just as we're here and as parenting as a context raises different um, struggles in our heart, I want to pause to just invite Jesus into it, to pray, to agree with him and align with him as he leads us into more. Jesus, we align with your scriptures that say that since we have been raised with you, we can set our hearts on things above. That is to say, the things of the kingdom of God, where you are in authority, where you rule, where you have everything under control. We can set our minds on things above, not the things of this world. God, we died with you and our life is hidden in you. Every shortcoming, every not yet, every struggle is hidden in God through Jesus Christ. And in you, we are also being raised and being restored to become the men and women that we were intended to be. And so, Jesus, I pray that through this podcast, you would surface the places in me in the context of relating to others, in the context of loving my children for their own sake, loving my children and not making them responsible for my happiness, but instead in that place, God, that every part and portion of me that has not yet surrendered to you, has not yet yielded to your leadership, to your guidance, to your coaching, to your care. I put it to death. God, every fear, every form of scarcity, every place where I feel justified in my anger and my disappointment. Jesus, I declare that because of you and your work, um, I can put to death those things and crucify those and be raised with you in a place of peace, in restoration. God, a peace that surpasses understanding, a peace that surpasses getting it right. God, I can put off the old man and I can put on this new self that's being restored in you and reimagined in you and finding its life in you. God, I confess that I am chosen by you and I am dearly loved apart from my choices I am dearly loved. You love me because you love me because you love me because you are faithful and you cannot be untrue to who you are. And so because I am loved, I choose to let the peace of Christ rule in my heart. I receive the peace of Christ, particularly in my relationships in my parenting, I ask for the peace of Christ to invade and permeate these places, these battles, these struggles, these fears, these doubts in relationship. I ask that you would come into those places and you would deepen my gratitude for the things that you have done. God, I pray that you would call to my spirit, call to mind in my spirit, 
that which you have already done, the victories, the moments of true connection, the opportunities that you have given me to know and to love. And God, I'm asking for more. I'm asking that out of that gratitude that you would guide my heart and shepherd me in relationship. God, show me the way I should go. I give you thanks. And I pause to simply say, God, what is next here? How do I apply this? Where and how would you lead me in walking with you into the deeper waters in this place? Amen. Friends, thanks for being together on this recording. You can find out more on these subjects at becomegoodsoil.com forward slash styles of relating. And look forward to being together with you at another time.